Well, good morning again. Today, the question we're considering is, what are we supposed to do? And what I mean by that is, why are we here? Why are we alive? Why, why do we exist? What, what is our purpose as human beings? Why do we have breath? Why do we enter each day? Do we even have a purpose? Now, I have some friends who would claim to be atheist or a- agnostic and they would say, well, you know, I don't even think that we have a purpose at all. Um, to me, that suggests that life is meaningless, and, and I find that a very, a very terrible, very sad way to live. But if we're gathered here to, in a church, we must have some understanding that there is a God, or at least we're open to the idea that maybe there is a God, and maybe he has something to say about how we live. And if there is a God, and he has something to say, then maybe there is a purpose, a reason for existing. And if that's true, then what are we supposed to do? Particularly if we profess to have a relationship with God. If we know him, what is it we are supposed to be doing? Now, people who have followed God for, for years, hundreds of years, have wrestled with this question. One of the, the best answers, or one of the most memorable, was a group of British pastors, theologians got together a couple hundred years ago and they wrote something called the Westminster Confession of Faith. And their simple answer was this, what is the chief end? What is the purpose of man and mankind? Well, they said man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. To bring God glory, worship, and praise. That that is our primary purpose. And that every aspect of our life is supposed to be about worship, about bringing glory to God, living in light of who God is, responding to him. Now, I have to be honest, that's, that's really easy to say. Okay, our chief is to glorify God. That, that's wonderful. But what does that really look like in our lives? What, what difference does that make in each of our individual lives? What does this worship, this glorifying God look like? And today we're going to talk about Two components of that. What does it mean to worship God, to live for him? What are we supposed to be doing? We're going to talk about serving God and praising him. Living our lives for the Lord. Celebrating who he is and what he has done. And particularly if we are God's people, we need to make serving him and praising him a priority in our lives. We're going to discover that in the book of Nehemiah chapters 11 and 12. We're going to jump around a bit, so instead of reading it first, let's open in prayer. Lord, thank you for this time this morning that we truly have 10,000 reasons to bless you, God, and celebrate who you are. Lord, please teach us from your word today how we are to serve you, live our lives for you. Teach us that we are supposed to praise you and what that can look like. And God, convict us that we would make it a priority to serve and praise you. May we put all distractions aside so that you are the one who increases, God, and we see you more and more, and everything else decreases in comparison. Thank you that we are able to serve and praise you, not because of anything good in us, but because of the work of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that I pray. Amen. Let's take a moment to remember where we are in Scripture. We're in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. We're talking about God's people. They are back in the promised land. They'd been away in exile, but they are back. The wall of their city of Jerusalem is finished. In recent weeks, we've been talking about they've taken some time to read God's word. They realized how much they had sinned and fallen away from God. They've confessed that sin. 
They've made a covenant, a commitment that they are going to live for God. They are going to support the work of his people. They are ready to make Jerusalem their holy city, representative of who God is. They're going to set it apart in holiness for God. And it's here at this moment, they're ready to make Jerusalem holy, that we learn the first lesson of what God's people are supposed to do. And that is they're supposed to serve. God's people are supposed to serve him, live their lives for him, serve. We see this in chapter 11 and chapter 12, but really the best place we see it is just the first two verses of chapter 11. So let's look at those, 11 verses 1 and 2. It says, Now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem, and the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while nine out of ten remained in the other towns. Verse 2 says, and the people blessed all of the men, all the people who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. Now, if we remember what Nehemiah has done, he has come to Jerusalem. The walls were broken down. No one was really living in the city. So he's rebuilt the walls of the city, but there's still a problem. There are no people there or very, very few. And so Nehemiah and the Israelites are working to repopulate their capital city of Jerusalem, where God's presence dwelt with his people. We remember this problem back in chapter 7. As soon as they finished the wall, they realized the city was wide and large, but the people within it were few, and no houses had been rebuilt. Verse 1 of our passage tells us the leaders had moved into the city, but there were all these empty, broken-down houses that were left over from before the people went into exile. To the outsider, Jerusalem may have looked like a ghost town at most times of day. And a city is not really a city if no one lives in it. Yes, you can have the buildings, but you really can't call it a city. It would be like if you decided to renovate a house that nobody lived in, and you made it look beautiful on the outside, but if no one lived in it, you really couldn't call it anyone's home. So there's nobody living in Jerusalem. And there's good reasons for this. The people are reluctant to move into the city. On the one hand, if they go into the city, they're going to lose some of their land. They had just come back out of the exile and they had established, you know, I'm going to take this plot of land over here. If I go all the way into the city, then I'm very far from my land and I may have less of it there than I have here. It was also dangerous to live in Jerusalem. If you remember when Nehemiah came, there were all these people trying to stop them from rebuilding the wall. Those people were saying, you shouldn't do this. They had to have soldiers arming around the city. And so if they live there, they'll be a target. If anybody's going to come to attack, Jerusalem will be the first place that they go. Those things are true. But what's also true is that this is the city where God's presence was to dwell with his people. This was where his people were to live in a relationship with him. And it shows us that even though God's work may look small and insignificant, there's no one in this city. God was committed to building his kingdom, to making Jerusalem a place where his people could relate to him. Just as he now builds his people, his church, one at a time, person by person, even if it looks small from our view. Nehemiah knows this is the city of God. It must be restored. And so, since he's the leader, he has to resort to a draft. They, they cast lots, they use something so that they can make one out of every ten people move into Jerusalem, the place where God was to be worshipped and served at this time. 
This was common in the Old Testament times. They used these lots to determine God's will. Fortunately for us today, we don't have to do that because we have the Bible. We have God's word. We can get wisdom from it. His Holy Spirit illuminates it to us, helps us to understand this is what God says and what he means. So we don't have to do that now. But that's what they used at that time to see what does God want us to do. And so they have to do that for some people, but there's some people they don't have to do that for. Because verse 2 tells us that the people blessed, they commended those who willingly offered, who volunteered, my family and I, we will move into Jerusalem. Some volunteered to live and resettle in the capital city. They knew this is where God wants to build his kingdom around. We are going where we are needed, where God is doing his work. And think about that. Your, your family had spent the past 70, maybe 100 years living in exile away from the promised land. You had your own home, your own life. You move into a new promised land. You find a tract of land. This is where we're going to live. You build up your own little house. You have your nice little land. And then Nehemiah stands up and says, hey, we've got to need some people to move into Jerusalem. Now, if it was me, I'd say, well, uh, apologies, Nehemiah, but forget you. I'm staying on my little track of land I got here. But it seems that there were some people who said, you know, he's right. That is our capital city. That is where we need to be. And even though we just rebuilt this home, we're going to go and move to Jerusalem. They're choosing to move out of the country, the suburbs, into the city where God was working. And they left behind their farms, neighbors, their children's friends, their lifestyles, because they were loyal first and foremost to God's purpose. This is what God is doing right now. And they put God's mission above their own plans for their life. This is what God often does. He moves in the hearts of his people so that they sacrifice their own self-interest for his kingdom purposes. In the book of Exodus, they did this in a financial way. They needed resources for the tabernacle. And it says, all the men and women, the people of Israel, this is a great phrase, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work of the Lord that he had commanded by Moses to be done. They brought it as a free will offering to the Lord. Throughout Scripture, when God's people volunteer to serve him, they are praised. In the book of Judges, there's a song that says, My heart goes out to the commanders of Israel who offered themselves willingly among the people. Bless the Lord. And it's a challenge for us. If we realize, you know what? I think I could serve God more effectively if I lived somewhere else or maybe had a different job or was doing something different with my life. And if we realize that, would we take that step to do it like these people here? Now, I'm not going to read the names to you, but the rest of chapter 11 is a list of these families that moved into Jerusalem. It's a recognition of what they did. It's giving credit to these people who otherwise would be unknown because they showed courage to leave behind their homes to come to God's city. And I know that if we're someone who's been a part of a church for a while or we're familiar with the Bible, we typically don't memorize passages like this, these long list of names. We, we tend to gloss over them. But together they serve as a very important reminder to us. This long list of names shows us this is what God can do with people who are committed to him. I really like how the scholar Mervyn Brenneman put it. He said, it may seem tedious to us to find so many lists of genealogies and place names in Ezra and Nehemiah, 
But it reminds us again that God's work is done by individuals. And even though it's a community activity, each person in that community is important. Must be given responsibility. Must be an integral part of the community's activities. Each person was important to what God was doing among his people. And so they are recognized here in this chapter. And that's why if we were to pull out specific verses, you can even look at it if you have it in front of you. In verses 6, 8, and 14, it says that they are valiant men. It calls them men of valor or mighty men of valor. Nehemiah and the others were grateful for those who were willing to serve God in this way, who were willing to leave behind their more profitable, their more comfortable lifestyle outside the city to come to this more dangerous place where they could serve God. And God may call you to do something similar. Perhaps not in a necessarily audible voice, but by showing you there's a need happening over there. There's a need happening somewhere, and I can do something to help with that. God has given me ability to help in that situation. I'm not necessarily talking you need to move to a new place like these people, but it could be serving where needs are. Maybe, you know, I'm helping out in this side of the church, but I see that there's a need over here, and I'm going to go and help out over there because there's a need there. And this theme of service continues into chapter 12 with more of a focus on who God's people are. The first 26 verses of chapter 12 are really just a list of the high priests, the Levites, who were the very first to return from the promised land to Nehemiah's day. It's talking about how God's people served him. It's encouraging them that the religious leaders have been still doing this from the time of the exile to now. They have been serving God even in this difficult time. They've been honoring God the way that he wanted because only these Levites and only this particular family could serve as priests, but they had been faithful in doing that. And this was to encourage them. And so by remembering people have come into Jerusalem to serve, these priests and Levites are faithfully serving, it was setting the people up for a celebration that's about to come. In this passage, we see that God's people rejoice when they see their brothers and their sisters faithfully serving him. And then they serve with joy. This isn't just an Old Testament thing. The New Testament tells us love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful or lazy in your zeal and passion, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Serving God's not just something they did in the Old Testament. It's something His people do today. But that's not really a word we like. We don't like that that word, serving. We like getting things, receiving. Our culture around us tells us what you need to do is look out for you and your family. Make the decision that's best for you. God doesn't work that way. God calls us to look around us and see what is best for us as a community together. God encourages his people to be dependent on one another. Last week we talked about this. I'm not going to go through this again, but this challenge to us every week, every member of East Shore, what it looks like when those of us who belong to East Shore, when we work together to serve God's kingdom, about how we're receiving God's word, responding to God's word, but in particular there in the middle, when we gather together, we are being served by one another. We're being encouraged by those around us. But we are also serving one another. We come to church not thinking, this is what I want to get out of this, but we come thinking, how can I serve others and be a blessing to them? Because we need one another. 
we need the unique talents and abilities that God has given each and every one of us, that we each bring to the table. As Pastor Chuck Swindle said, your work may be done anonymously, but you are not anonymous to God. The Lord remembers every labor done in love. And he's not just making that up. He's getting that from passages like Hebrews 6.10, which tells us that God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. This thing that God's not overlooking is not the things we do for ourselves, but what we are doing for God's name in serving one another in the church. And that reward is based on our faithfulness, not on how big, how grand our life was, but on us serving together. Again, as Mervyn Brenneman says, in God's work, each believer is important. Each one of us is indispensable in what our church is doing together and what God's people do together. And yes, that can be a big and grand thing. On Wednesday evenings, we've been talking about missionaries, those who go to the hard places, places that are extremely difficult to get to, places where it's a struggle to find your basic needs, maybe hostile areas where few people know the name of Jesus. And yes, there's that big grand way of serving that God calls some of us to, but all of us are called to serve God. Perhaps even the opportunities here in our local church maybe even ways that may seem to the side or anonymous. There are plenty of places where we need help and people to serve. For example, with the nursery or the little ones. I don't know if you noticed, but there's a lot of babies being born. And so that that needs people to be there to rotate together so that some can watch the children and others can be learning about God and praising Him. The more people involved with that, the more that we can grow together. And those babies will grow up. And so we need people serving with the children as well to be able to care for them, teach them about God, and provide opportunities for parents to grow in faith as well. They're serving in that area. There's behind-the-scenes things, whether it's setting up for Lord's Supper or setting up, cleaning up after an event. Perhaps it's taking time during the week to visit someone who's sick or, or call someone who's not feeling well. Perhaps it's, it's serving with the worship team leading us in praising God, or with those who do tech or things online. There are plenty of opportunities, and God has given us talents to serve Him. If you're looking for something immediately to jump into, well, hey, VBS is coming in a week. And if you're not involved with that, there's an opportunity to serve there. If you say, I can't do any of that, um, I may push back a little, but if you say, no, I'm physically unable to do any of those things, well, if you're still alive, you can still serve God in your church through prayer. Our prayers and calling out to God. Any success that we have as a church, that's not because I'm a great speaker, a great leader, thing. that's not attributed to that. It's attributed to God's grace and your prayers. That is where the praise belongs. So I want to particularly say thank you to those of you who have spent time in prayer or serving in those areas. Thank you for serving the Lord. By doing that, you're demonstrating Christ-like character. One pastor, James Hamilton, said, to follow Jesus is to follow him in laying down our lives for the benefit of others the way that he did for us. That's what serving is, modeling Jesus in laying down our lives. And my question beginning was, what are we supposed to do? What is our purpose? Well, serving God is what we were made to do. 
And let me give you a little spoiler alert. Serving God is not something that stops. Serving God is something we do forever. You go to the very last book of the Bible, it looks at God's people, it says, therefore they are before the throne of God and they rest and take a vacation every day. No, they serve him day and night in his temple. But they still get a benefit from it because he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Eternity will be spent serving God, being sheltered in his presence, having an intimate relationship with him in a way that I cannot even begin to attempt to explain. So worshiping God, glorifying him, that means we're serving him, but it's not only that, it also means that we are praising him. So if you're following along, the outline, the second thing is praise. We serve God and we praise him. I was really super tempted to, instead of go with praise, to go with sing, so I'd have the serve and sing and have some S's running down there. But but I, I thought about it, and I, I wanted to use a term that definitely applied to everyone. Because there's there's some times, whether we're, we're deaf or perhaps we're serving God by praising him by playing an instrument, then we're not necessarily singing in that moment, but we're still praising him. So I went with praise instead. We're going to look at a chunk of chapter 12 about this. Let's start with verses 27 through 30. It says, and at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem, to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgivings and with singing, with cymbals, harps, and lyres. And the sons of the singers gathered together from the district surrounding Jerusalem, from villages, whether it was the Nitathotites or from Beth Gilgal, the region of Geba and Azimaveth, the singers had built themselves villages around Jerusalem. And the priests and the Levites purified themselves. They purified the people and the gates and the wall. All the Levites in the land are recruited for this dedication, this celebration that they are about to have because they've finished this new wall. It's a time of gladness, singing to celebrate what God has done. We've seen these type of celebrations throughout the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. When they finished rebuilding the temple years earlier, the people of Israel, the priests, the Levites, the rest of the returned exiles, they celebrated the dedication of this house of God with joy. They celebrated when they finished the temple. Now they're celebrating that they finished this wall. God was the source of their joy. He had returned them to the land. They'd rebuilt the temple. They'd rebuilt the walls. Worship had been restored. It was time to praise. One person I read suggested that maybe Psalm 147 was written for the occasion that we're reading right now. Maybe it was written to celebrate this. That psalm says, Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God. It is pleasant, and a song of praise is fitting. And the reason they think it's this event is because they say the Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcast of Israel. Now they don't know 100%, but maybe it's talking about all the people who have moved into the city for this celebration. This is common in these books, and Nehemiah is taking the step. God has done some work. It is time for us to worship and praise him. And we've seen this throughout these books. Way back in chapter 3, They had laid the foundation for the temple. They hadn't even finished it yet, and they took time to praise God. You might remember this. The the builders of the land laid the foundation of the Lord. Then the priests in their vestments, their garments, they came forward with trumpets. The Levites, who were the singers, the sons of Asaph, came with cymbals to praise the Lord 
according to the directions of David, king of Israel. They sang responsively back and forth, praising and giving thanks to the Lord. For he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever toward Israel. And then all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. They celebrated whenever God did something in their community. They're following the example of their ancestors. For example, King David, he commanded the chiefs of the Levites to appoint their brothers as the singers who should play loudly on musical instruments, harps, lyres, cymbals, to raise sounds of joy. They celebrated and praised to God. But there's something that has to happen first before they start praising him. Verse 30 told us that the priest Levites purified themselves and they purified the people, the gates, and the wall. They needed to be purified before this worship service. For them at that time, that probably meant they were fasting. Maybe they offered some sacrifices, maybe washed their clothes, put on some clean garments, and they set apart the gates and the wall. This whole city is for God's purpose. They needed this purification before God, before they could worship Him, before they could celebrate. Because God's people need to be holy, set apart, and different. As First Peter tells us, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. The problem with our desire to praise God is God has to first make us whole before we can praise him. In Chuck Swindle's words, holiness precedes happiness. The bad news is that's really not something that we can accomplish on our own. The good news is, that's why we need the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. On our own, we're sinners separated from God. We've chosen to follow our own ways, our own desires, where we're unable to worship God. And that's why he sent his son Jesus, who lived for us, who died for us, so that we could be in a position, now we can praise God. Now we have something to thank him for, because everything he does works out for our benefit we can praise and worship him as these priests and levites were pure we can become pure before god not because of good things we do that add up to okay i've reached the level of purity but because of what christ has done for us and once he's done that then we can celebrate and that's what happens here they celebrate the good news they do this with two great large choirs that together go around the city and enclose it in praise I'm not going to read every verse here. I'm going to jump around a little bit, but you can follow along. Let's start with verses 31 and 32. Nehemiah is talking, and he says, Then I brought the leaders of Judah up onto the wall, and I appointed two great choirs that gave thanks. One went to the south of the wall, to the dung gate, and it lists some of the people who went with that choir. The end of verse 36 tells us that they had um, musical instruments of David, the man of God, and Ezra the scribe went before them tells us the route they went around the wall verse 38 says the other choir of those who give thanks instead of going to the south they went to the north nehemiah says i followed them with half of the people on the wall he describes the route that they went on and they met up together verse 40 tells us so both choirs of those who give thanks stood in the house of god and i and half of the officials with me verse 42 tells us that the singers sang with Jezariah as their leader. 
And they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and the children also rejoiced, and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. Nehemiah brings all the leaders on top of the wall so they can see what God has done, completing the wall of Think about how impactful this may have been. When they first came, each person had their own little corner of the wall they were assigned. They spent every day just laying bricks in front of their own little house, their own little place. Now they get to step back and they get to see the big picture. Wow, God has provided a way to defend our whole city. And they were able to go up on top and walk around it because it was probably at least nine feet wide. And so these choirs were able to go around the wall. Nehemiah is encouraging the people to have joy in what God has done for them. Perhaps they used a psalm like this, Psalm 48, which says, Walk about Zion, Jerusalem. Go around her. Number her towers. Consider well her ramparts. Go through her citadels that you may tell the next generation that this is God, our God forever and ever. He will guide us forever. Crowds probably sang something like this as they walked along the wall in either direction. You had kind of dueling parades going on. Are you going to watch the North Parade or the South Parade? It doesn't matter. They end up at the same place, but parades going together. I was thinking of dueling parades. For some reason, I was thinking of the roller coaster lightning racer over at Hershey Park, the dueling wooden coaster that weaves in and out. Well, these choirs go around and then meet up. Ezra goes with one. Nehemiah goes with the other. They're working together. Kind of a grand, almost like the Olympic opening ceremony that just happened. But the purpose of this event is not to celebrate athletes. It's to celebrate what God has done for his people. It's to testify that we have had divine support because he was the one who really did the work. In the words of Psalm 26, Psalmist says, I wash my hands in innocence. I go around your altar, O Lord, proclaiming thanksgiving aloud, telling all your wondrous deeds. Oh, Lord, I love the habitation of your house, the place where your glory dwells. Nehemiah just follows this choir, perhaps appreciating what God has done. He doesn't have to be in front. He shows humility. He's a political leader. He's not a spiritual leader. and So he lets the spiritual leaders take the lead, and he just follows in humility. He doesn't have to control everything. He's able to delegate. Verse 40 showed us both the choirs meet at the temple, And they take their positions for this celebration where they play and they sing loudly. And their praise, their joy leads them to offer sacrifices. They did that with animals, but we can combine those as God's people today. Hebrews tells us, through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. What that means is the fruit of lips, people who know him, acknowledge his name, saying, yes, God, you are great. Thank you for what you have done for us. At this time, there's families, women and children are together celebrating. God had made them rejoice with great joy. He had shown his faithfulness to them. God had returned them to their homeland. They could serve God as he intended. They have a great celebration and party. The sound can be heard far away. Again, this is something we've seen before. Way back in Ezra 3, the people shouted with a great shout, and the sound was heard far away. Ezra 3.13. This great shout of God's people, people hearing and appreciating this joy that's happening. It reminded me of back when I was 
a seminary student. The student housing was down the hill from uh, the public high school of that little community. And I don't know if you're aware of this, but I'm somewhat of a nerd. And so I would spend my Friday evenings working on my schoolwork, trying to get ahead on it. But on Friday evenings uh, during the fall, I would hear something around 6.30 or so, and it would go nonstop until 10 o'clock. It was the drums of the high school marching band up the hill. I'd hear the drums go. I could almost follow what was going on in the game. The high school was almost a mile away, but if there was a loud cheer, lots of music, okay, the local team's doing pretty well. If there wasn't, it would get a little bit calmer. But that constant noise told me there's something exciting going on at the top of the hill up there. Well, much greater than just a football game that happens once a week and is quickly forgotten is God's people celebrating what he has done, celebrating his eternal victory. What if we as people made such a noise that people said, what's going on up there? I was going to go to the football game, but something really exciting seems to be happening up at that church. As Psalm 100 says, make a joyful noise to the Lord. All the earth, serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. What I like about these verses is we see all the things we talked about. They're to serve the Lord. And then they come into his presence with singing. We see the serving and praise coming together here in this passage. Brothers and sisters, if we have a relationship with God, then we are to praise him. Something he calls us to. Now, let's be honest. There may be some of us that we find worship part, whether it's at church or elsewhere, maybe we find that a little tedious. Like, okay, I get it. We have to do the singing, but but let's talk about what's in the Bible. Let me learn something new about God today. But friends, the, the worship that we have both beforehand and after, that is an important part of why we are here. You guys know I like Charles Spurgeon. Look what he says about it. He says, preaching is the sowing. Prayer is the watering, but praise is the harvest. When God has changed us, sharing his word is important. This is an essential part of gathering together, hearing from God, learning about him. Absolutely. We should be praying in relationship with him. But the result of those things is that God has moved in our hearts so that we praise and worship him. Friends, you need to develop habits of praise in your life. Not just together on Sunday and the little bit before the sermon and the one song afterwards, but sing to God whenever you can. Make it an expression of joy. The passage we read earlier told us to be filled with the Spirit. We want the Holy Spirit in us. What does that look like? It means we address one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. We sing and make melody to the Lord with all of our heart. We give thanks always for everything to the God and Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise should be where we default back as God's people. I think I've shared this before, but uh, a couple years ago, having a little bit of a hard time, uh, a lot of pressure and stress in life. And that was actually when I was still uh, dating uh, Christine before we were married. And so I'd have about an hour drive to her house. And I'd spend that in prayer. And then the hour back, I'd spend in taking time to praise God many of the times I was traveling. And those were amazing times of praise and intimacy with God. And even though things were extremely stressful, I was able to have that time with him. Just this week, I uh, had a, a long drive to a meeting. And I spent the way there 
uh, singing some of the sang- songs that I, I sang back at that time. And it was a fresh reminder of what a joy it is to praise God. We should build that into our lives, times to praise God when things get hard. Now, what I'm not telling you is, is sometimes some convey, well, you should only ever listen to praise and worship music. You should only ever listen to, to Christian music. I, I'm, not, I'm not telling you that. We can appreciate the gifts and talents and abilities God has given people in however they sing. But what, what I'm suggesting is, do we deliberately schedule or set aside time that we are going to worship God? Are we going to set aside time that I am going to praise God now? Are we going to set aside time for our family to praise God? Do we set aside and schedule that time? Point three says, do we make it a priority? I know for, for my wife and I, a discipline we're trying to build in our lives is that when we're able to have dinner together, we take time afterwards to uh, sing a, a hymn of praise to God. And we're trying to build that, that discipline into our lives. Some days we do, some days... We don't, we're really wor- working at it. But I, I think figuring out what works in your life, where is a time that I can set aside, that I can deliberately praise God so that it doesn't slip away, but that I'm disciplining myself to make sure it happens. And again, the point is that we're making it a priority. We're taking practical steps. Let's read verses 44 through 47, the last few verses of this chapter. They say, On that day men were appointed over the storerooms, the contributions, first fruits, and the tithes to gather them into them the portions required by the law for the priests and the Levites according to the fields and towns. And the reason they did all this gathering was because Judah rejoiced over the priests and the Levites who ministered. And they, in turn, performed the service of their God, the service of purification, as did the singers and the gatekeepers according to the command of David and his son Solomon. For long ago in the days of David and Asaph, who led the singers, there were directors of the singers. There were songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. And as a summary, verse 47 tells us, in all Israel, in the days of Zerubbabel, he was the first person who led them out of exile, brought Jews back to the promised land. In his days, and now in the days of Nehemiah, they gave daily portions for the singers and the gatekeepers. They set apart Their gifts that were for the Levites, and the Levites set apart that which was for the high priest, the sons of Aaron. Here the people are together, taking the steps they need to. These are the things we need to do to make sure that we are serving God and we are worshiping him. They make arrangements for the collection of their offering. We've seen this in the past couple weeks. They read from God's word. They saw, oh, we're supposed to be giving things to God so that we can serve and worship him. In chapter 10, we talked about last week, they made a covenant, a commitment. We are going to do this. And now they make it happen. They do what they need to. So yes, now we can worship God together. This was what God's people, how they respond to his word, respond to him. We've seen what God has done. We see what his word says. We're going to take steps to make sure we're worshiping him. Second Chronicles tells us about King Hezekiah. He commanded them to prepare chambers in the house of the Lord, and they prepared them. They faithfully brought in the contributions, the tithes, the dedicated things. They do this because the people, I love that phrase in verse 44, the Judah rejoiced over the priests and the Levites who ministered. They rejoiced in their leaders. They took joy in their work. They were grateful for those who served. They took practical steps. Let's help them so more people are serving and worshiping God. That's what we should do. We see God being praised and worshiped. We say, how can I help to see more people do that and see more done for God's kingdom? 
the Levites are described, that they're performing service of purification, the worship that God desired. They're purifying the donations used in God's temple according to his word. By doing this, they're following the instructions that David and Solomon had gave for worship in the temple. We discover that, 1 Chronicles 25 says, David and the chiefs of the service set apart the sons of Asaph, of Heman, of Jeduthun. They prophesied, they sang with lyres, harps, and cymbals. And God's people had seen that in this day. They'd seen it, uh, Hezekiah saw it in 2 Chronicles. Hezekiah the king, the officials, they commanded the Levites to sing praises to the Lord with the words of David and of Asaph the seer. They sang praises with gladness. They bowed down and worshipped. In many ways, we've arrived at a grand summary of these last few chapters in Nehemiah. The, the big tension of the story is, are they going to rebuild this wall? They do it about halfway, and we talked about, well, isn't that where the book should end? But no, they need to worship God. They're back, they have a temple, but they don't really have a close relationship with the Lord. So they read his word. We talked about that in chapter 8. They're convicted. You know, we're not doing what God has said. They pray a prayer of confession in chapter 9. In chapter 10, they confess and they commit. We are going to do this. We're going to make it right. And now they are doing it. They are serving and praising God. They faithfully gave during this time. They set apart. They consecrated what needed to be given to the Lord. They made sure their ministers were provided for. They made sure that they could serve and worship together. And it's easy to look at that and say, well, that, that's great that they had the time to set all that up, to do all that, but they're not living in 2021. That They don't know the pressures that we have now. But let, let, let's think about what the lives of these people would have been like. This was a time of chaos and confusion in the world. It was only a few years before that they all lived thousands of miles away in exile in Babylon or other places. So You'd spend a whole generation living there, and now you come back to this land that's supposedly your homeland, but you'd never been here before. And when you come there, it's not like everything's all of a sudden good. They were under the rule of another empire, the Persians. You may remember way back in Ezra that sometimes the other people in the land would write the king and say, hey, you need to stop the Jews from doing this. And the king would do that. Their whole lives were subject to the whims and decree of someone who lived thousands of miles away. But in this time of confusion, of chaos, of never knowing exactly what was going to happen tomorrow, they made serving God and serving his people a priority. They made worshiping and praising God a priority. They volunteered. They said, you know what, we're going to go and we're going to serve God here. They took the time to say, we're going to take time to celebrate what God has done. That's important. And look, I, I realize that we're in a dangerous, very confusing time in the world. I understand that. But that's really nothing new. Those things have been around before. And I know that in a time where there's a lot of pressures, a lot of voices saying one thing or another, I know I feel this tension too. You may think, you know, I wish Pastor would talk about this, talk about that. And, and I, I understand that. My call is to talk about what God has said in his word. These are the places of God's word we're going through. When I look at these chapters, there's much we could talk about. But these chapters tell us that serving God and worshiping and praising Him should be the priority of us, His people. As 2 Corinthians said, whether we are at home 
in heaven with God or whether we're away, we're still living here on earth, we make it our aim, our goal to please him. That is what we are supposed to do. Friends, God gave his best for us. He sent his son, Jesus Christ. And if we've turned from sin, if we have a relationship with him, then we should give our best back to God. We're not earning a place with him. And if you don't know God through Christ, then I pray that you would talk to someone about that, about how you could say, you know what, I'm going to put this sin behind me so that I can have a relationship with God. I can be in a place where I can do what I'm supposed to do, serving God and praising him. But if we do know him, well, then he is worthy of our best, our best service, the best years of our lives, and he's worthy of our best praise with the fullness of our energy and joy. And what's really great about how we structure our services is we get to apply one of those points right now. So why don't we take a time to spend a moment in silent prayer, and then we'll praise God for who he is and what he has done for us.